Welcome to the Turfgrass Hotline, brought to you by our partners at Dryject, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in a single pass. And our partners at Intelligro, manufacturers of Civitas, a fungicide that's so much more. Welcome back to the Turfgrass Hotline. Clint Maddox, Oregon State University. My favorite hashtag. I love to use it. Go Beavs. I have such a fondness for that part of the country and the work you guys, you and Brian and Alec are doing there with the nice collection of graduate students beginning to collect there as well. Welcome back to the show. And let's start with the weather. I was just looking and it looks a little on the dry side. This is anthracnose season. Let's start first with How does dry weather increase or decrease the anthracnose out there? Yeah, thanks, Frank. Thanks for having me on again. We actually struggle quite a bit to have anthracnose, but clearly when we do have anthracnose, it's when we, you know, have those dry periods. And I've actually done research even working with like wetting agents and things where we found that, you know, wetting agents have even been uh, able to suppress some anthracnose damage. And so, you know, there is something to play there with uh, perhaps moisture retention or maybe just better distribution of water. But this year it's kind of been a really strange year. It's been a little bit dry, but what's really been odd for us is we haven't had those extreme hot days as we'd had in the past. Mm. I was actually kind of surprised the average air temperatures and things were about the same as normal, mm. but superintendents are getting, you know, having less interactness this year, I think, than they've had in the past. Mm. And that's mainly because a lot of them are coming back to us and saying, you know, we just haven't had that many days above 95 that we would have had in the past. And you're aware out here in the Pacific Northwest, one of the things we really enjoy is those really cool temperatures in the evening. And we only get above 50 degrees Fahrenheit for the month of July and August. You know, our average is like 52 and 51 for those months for the minimum. So it gets really cool in the evening. So that's pretty good for growing turf. It is. And I wonder, too, if some of your guys have heard the message about more nitrogen. I can tell you back east here, conversations we've had on the hotline with diagnosticians in this part of the country and in the Midwest, Lee Miller. The association between low N and anthracnose. I know you and Brian and Alec do a collection of studies out there. Let's just start with the low N thing. You think some of the alleviation is in addition to the weather? Maybe guys are putting on a little more nitrogen? Well, I would like to think that they were listening to the research coming out of your neck of the woods. You know, when we do see anthracnose, it's usually, you know, the superintendents that are trying to keep a really lean fertilization pattern and I can tell you that a lot of my plots, I try to do this long-term study uh, that you're aware of where we control microdokium patch in the winter and then see if I can get anthracnose in the summer. But I want to get those plots recuperated, you know, for the next microdokium patch season. So I give them two-tenths of a pound of nitrogen every two weeks. And this is on a pure sand surface. And I can hardly ever get any anthracnose at that, you know, moderate rate of fertility. Mm. Where Brian, where he does his anthracnose studies, he basically starves the green, mows it as low as he possibly can. And, you know, he can get some pretty impressive anthracnose pressure. But based on just our anecdotal evidence and all the great research coming out of Rutgers, if you give it some nitrogen, you're going to be hard-pressed getting any anthracnose out here in the in the west side of the Cascades anyway. So also, I want to maybe give you guys credit for developing preventative programs, right? Not all the programs in the east were the best programs for what you guys were trying to control anthracnose-wise. And so I'm hoping that maybe we're a little smarter about that as well, the applications the guys are making. 
Yeah, and we talked about this at the last talk. We tend to put our anthracnose preventatives out about the middle of June for our first app or second or third week of June. And if we don't have a high-pressure year, Brian McDonald out here has made two or three programs. And I know on his, you know, not an extreme pressure year, we're only putting down three preventative fungicides and people are getting out just fine, especially if they're able to keep with those best management practices coming out of Rutgers. Mm-hmm. I mean, we tend to just apply chlorothalonil with all three apps because that tends to be a really good contact fungicide. And then Brian rotates the systemic fungicides in those mixes. And it really does a good job out here. What happens if chlorothalonil comes under continued pressure and it becomes restricted further? Well, I think, you know, we'll be looking for a contact fungicide. I know that Secure is a contact fungicide we use on Microdokium patch. And don't quote me on this, but I believe that Brian does prefer the chlorothalonil chemistry over the Secure in the summertime for anthracnose and using that Secure more in the wintertime against Microdokium patch. But you know, we're definitely going to be hard pressed if we can't use those contact fungicides because, you know, we're already worried about a, a fungicide resistance in our area for anthracnose like other places. So I don't know what the solution is. I mean, other than following the best management practices coming out of the good research on the East Coast. Right. Thanks for mentioning Microdokium patch. And so let's transition to that. And just before we came on the air, we had a chuckle that it is early September And almost right on target, you're starting to see microdokium patch in your plots. Is this early or have you actually seen it every 12, all 12 months of the year out there? Well, I think we need to start putting a big calendar on the wall for if we could see it all 12 months. The superintendents are reporting it all the way into July. And I don't know of anybody reporting it in August, but we definitely had our first spots of microdokium patch yesterday out at the research farm. And it does seem a little early. When I started my microdokium patch research here in 2013, I thought I could start my trials, you know, first of October, last week of September. And a couple times I got hit uh, with microdokium patch before I even got the trials out. So I actually was mentioning at our field day last week that I'm actually going to spray my trials tomorrow for my microdokium patch season, which may sound early, but, you know, especially with my research where I'm looking at kind of alternatives where we have to kind of get in front of the microdokium patch with using things like mineral oils or phosphites or sulfur or iron sulfate and things, I tend to, you know, try to get out a little early with that. And I've, if I don't get out this week, and I wait a couple more weeks, I'll have disease on those trials. And then, you know, the data isn't near as, as strong as it would be otherwise. So is it like anthracnose, Clint, that, you know, like Brian does with this anthracnose, almost everything wrong to get it? Are there things that make some of your plots more susceptible? I mean, if we had to think about best management practices before we went to chemistry, you know, I know you have for rolling seen benefits from just straight up rolling, Uh, Are there the cultural best management practices for microdokium patch? Are there a few that you could mention? Yeah. So when I very first started, there was, of course, the idea that a lot of nitrogen will bring microdokium patch. And of course it does. But what was kind of interesting is in my master's degree, I actually found that a tenth of a pound of nitrogen every two weeks as urea in the wintertime did not increase our risk of microdokium patch. And indeed, it was pretty good to recuperate from golfer traffic because, you know, on the west side of the Cascades, we can get rounds of golf every month of the year because we don't really get any snow cover. So there is 
nitrogen certainly is a factor. If you get to two tenths of a pound every two weeks, you have more disease than if you had no nitrogen or a tenth of a pound. But a tenth of a pound doesn't seem to be any detriment to the increase or, you know, to the level of microdocum patch. What was really interesting is I didn't find much influence of dew removal on on the greens, which I always was flabbergasted by that research. I did that for three winters and a very, very minor decrease in disease by removing dew on a daily basis. And I just find that perplexing. It probably has a lot to do with the fact that we're kind of just displacing the moisture and probably not, quote unquote, removing it like you would, you know, maybe with the sunlight, of course, in the summertime with summer diseases. So I, I was talking to a researcher out of Michigan State right. once and who was looking at a microdocum patch, and he said if the cartridge paths were humid in the morning, there was a really high risk of microdocum patch because they were working on epidemiology models right. in the past. So. Huh. And so it's interesting because um, that that sort of brings in the rolling component to me, and much like the dollar spot issue where – I think Dave Williams, who just unfortunately passed away recently, uh, very suddenly from the University of Kentucky, he he had moved into hemp research and recently passed away from a short bout uh, with cancer. But he did his work on dew removal and dollar spot uh, control and didn't find consistent results. And yet mowing and rolling that does dew removal seems to reduce dollar spot. And I think what you're saying is you found the same thing. Dew removal didn't help, but rolling did reduce it. Do you tell the guys to just keep rolling throughout this entire se- uh, season uh, up until at least December? Yeah. So to clarify, I was testing multiple ways of removing dew and rolling was the only one that did a good job, you know, statistically and, and you know, visually you could clearly see. And basically the summary of our dew removal research is if you're going to go out and spend money, spend labor time to go remove dew, you might as well just send out the rollers because you'll have to get something done that way. Mm. And maybe you'll even be able to reduce mowing and stress and other things like that. So, you know, the rolling is something I would really like to get into in the future, just research wise, because I don't know what it's affecting on the disease triangle. I have no idea. (laughs) Maybe it's stressing out the plant. Maybe it's making a change in the environment. Maybe the, I can't imagine that the pathogen particularly cares, but who knows? Well, you know, I think the reason that I'm harping on it a little bit is this. With many of our pathological problems that we talk about all season long on the hotline, it looks like many superintendents, no matter what they're spraying, they're having to spray for longer periods of time. And if you're using chemistry that can potentially develop into some form of resistance, having to use that chemistry longer increases the chances for resistance, right? And I'm sure you're worried sure. about that with a 11-month uh, microdochium patch season, and I hmm. know that's why you're looking at alternatives. But I wonder if you had to put it all together, that's got to concern you about resistance having to treat so long now. Yeah, I mean, resistance, you know, fortunately for the last seven years, we've been working on alternatives to fungicide chemistries. And, you know, like I kind of said a little bit earlier, you know, with mineral oils, phosphorus acids and sulfur and iron sulfate and rolling and, you know, nitrogen I think we're going to, you know, have a pretty good program here where people can at least rotate and maybe use less chemistries or mm. I think we're pretty much ahead of the game as far as getting alternatives out there so people will at least have an option when or if they want to not have fungicide resistance in the future and if they do they'll at least have an alternative to manage microdochium patch until new techniques are found. So those alternatives, the mineral oil, the phosphites, the iron sulfate, no known resistance anywhere there. 
Not that I'm aware of. I, iron sulfate, uh, phosphorus acid, and mineral oils like Civitas I haven't have any resistance uh, reported that I'm aware of in uh, turf grass in any case. I think there was a isolated case perhaps on a agriculture crop for phosphorus acid. I, I think the research is still going on there, and I'll be curious to follow that to see how that develops. But I'm not aware of any reports at all on uh, turf grass diseases. Well, listen, Clint, we're wrapping up. I want you to tell everybody about the next time I'm going to see you will be at your field day at the end of February. That's right. And I'm going to plan better and and hang out with our pal Tom Cook a little bit more because he wants to show me some grass ecology while I'm in town. And no chance I'm missing that. So you got a date set? Yeah, so February 27th is our fifth annual, I can't believe five years in a row now, Microdokium Patch Field Day. So we're really excited. We get about 50 superintendents come out and it's my favorite field day. And I, to be honest, I think a lot of superintendents as well because you could see disease from the, you know, driving into the farm and it's uh, pretty <laughs> exciting to me. It really is. I have to say, I've been to my share of field days in my 30 years of doing this. And that is uh, among the most intimate and most informative with a very keen audience that knows this is a major problem and really looking to their land-grant institution and you guys at OSU for those answers. So big congrats on that, and I'll see you in February, Clint. Thanks for taking the time to chat. Thanks a lot, Frank. I always like to talk to you. Have a great day. You too. Thanks to our partners at Dryjack, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in a single pass, and Intelligro, manufacturers of Civitas, a fungicide that's so much more. I'm Frank Rossi. Thanks for joining us. 